0: Um, kind of sister churches, Covenant Community Church in, in Harrisburg, um, kind of over some of their people oversee the Grace House, and basically it's a food pantry that provides food to, to people in need in the neighborhood. And um, it was pretty cool. Uh, Chuck, the guy who, who leads it, was sharing with our kids how um, people have to come there to get get food, not because sometimes they don't have the money for it, but because the parents unfortunately have such strong addictions that they spend their money on their drugs rather than buying food for the kids, and, and they can't feed themselves. And um, we heard some stories about some things that had happened right at the Grace House that, um, that were just really tough and, and hard. Um, there was a, a kind of a violent crime that happened right there, like not when we were there, <laughs> don't worry. Uh, uh, but it had happened there. And there was a little cross that they found kind of symbolizing what had happened right beside the steps. And the kids asked Chuck what it was and he he explained what had happened and how tragic it was for the community. And I think we look at all that and we think, oh, that's just so sad and it's so depressing and it seems so hopeless. And then, as we're shortly after we arrived and started working, this guy from the neighborhood named William came over. And William introduced himself and shared a little bit, and then he started working beside us. And um, William had received from the Grace House, and he, uh, as a result, comes over and volunteers at the Grace House. And anytime, a lot of times when somebody's out there doing something, we were raking leaves and cleaning up around the yard. He'll come over and and help out. And through that, we we learned somebody mentioned a store, and William said, oh, yeah, that's the store that my brother robbed, and that's why he's in prison now. And he went on and talked about his other brother who was in prison. And he's the only sibling that's not in prison. And um, But he had joy. And he was serving. A person in need that was serving. And I was reminded in, in that moment that even in the most desperate of places, there is hope. With Christ, there is hope. Nothing is too far gone. And that, I think, that Place and that ministry are kind of like examples, uh, like for us to, like, kind of maybe better see or better understand our state. Because the truth of the matter is, we are just like Hall Manor. You know, without Jesus, we are hopeless. And it is all just destruction and turmoil and violence and ugliness inside of here. But with Jesus, there is ultimate hope. And um, I am so grateful that you entrust your youth to us and allow us to take them to do things like that because They get to experience in a very real way, and sometimes a tangible way, I think, the spiritual reality that exists. And that affects them more than just doing it. We're not there just to do a good thing. My goal with our youth and with our kids and with the people who, those of us who are a little more mature in age, right? Every one of us is not just to give you good experiences that make you feel good. It's to give you experiences that develop your relationship with Jesus Christ. And so, and that happened yesterday. And so I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for you trusting us enough to take your kids to do things. And I, I hope and pray, I hope and pray that you don't just look at that and say, that's such a nice thing for our youth to do. But if, maybe if that's our mentality that this morning maybe we just, um, we'd be very convicted that it is, because it is not just a nice thing for our kids to do, it is a healthy and necessary thing for all of us to do, because none of us have arrived. None of us have arrived. We all need to grow. And so we're actually going to give you opportunity to do that, regardless of your age, Um we're gonna. I'm, my goal is to develop some partnerships like that one that we can, um, as a body, uh, serve together at, so that we can support the body of Christ in other places. We can use our privilege um, to 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 serve the body of Christ in places that doesn't have it, but also so that we can develop in our spirituality and our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's that's really good and necessary. So, um, okay. Uh, that is not at all what I'm preaching on this morning. We're going to talk about prayer this morning. So you have a Bible. open we'll up go to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to continue in our Sermon on the Mount series. Um, and we're, we're now in, in verses uh, 5 to 15. And um, it's the section where Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer. Um, which is uh, it's an awesome section. It's a really good section. Um, they're all really awesome and good. Um, but I'll tell you what. Why don't we go ahead and read it. And then um, I'll actually pray for us. Uh, it's kind of apropos, and then we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit a little bit this morning. So uh, this is what Jesus had to say, and starting in verse 5 of chapter 6. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites who love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Will you pray with me? Father, again, we thank you for who you are today. We thank you for being so gracious and merciful that you were willing to send your one and only Son not just to live for us and teach us and be a good example, but to suffer and die for us. We thank you also, our great God, that you are so powerful that not even death could hold you. And that several days after you died, Jesus, you also came back to life. And you live today. We 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 thank you for, for that because of also what it means for us <laughs> and 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 how it has transformed and changed us, how you have made us new creations. And we, we would pray in Jesus' name today that that being that new creation, we wouldn't try to understand your word with our own minds, but that we would we would humble ourselves before you and allow your Holy Spirit to teach us today. That you would speak to us and power, and truth. And that, Father, we could leave this place not just feeling better about ourselves, but having a better grasp on who You are so that we are equipped to go and live for You in this world. This time is Yours, and um, we humbly, humbly submit ourselves to You. We we are Yours as well. Please do with it as You see fit. Let Your will be done. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. So, um, it's easy, uh, it, or it's interesting. Um, in in Jesus' opening words for, for this section, um, he makes it clear that it's not, only, it's not just important for us to pray, but that prayer for the believer is a given. It's a given. I was talking about this with our students, our students this morning. He, he, he says, and when you pray... The whole idea is it's not if you pray, it's when you pray. That we are we, we are a people of prayer. And, and I, I think that sometimes our our faith, our spirituality seems somewhat powerless, and, and, and in part, I think the reason for that is, is that we are not a people of active prayer. We just don't we don't do it. You know, we, I was talking with a group of people the other day, some of our, our leaders here, and, and, and we realized that I think sometimes what we try to do is, if, is fit God into our lives rather than fit our lives around Him, right? And and that that's a problem. There, there's a time and a place. Like there's a, it's good for us to pray, like as we're driving to work every morning. You have 30 minutes, and you're just by yourself, and you're, and you're just talking with the Lord. That's great. As you're driving, but it's also good and probably necessary for us to take some time when we could be doing a thousand other things and just focus in and do nothing else other than spend some time with him in prayer. It's not that we we have to do all of one and none of the other, but it's that they're all important. We must be a people of prayer. And the assumption of Jesus is that we will pray. It's Prayers and activity engaged by those who recognize their inability to care for themselves and their consequential dependence on the one who can provide for their need. You know, we have a dog at home. Uh, Her name's Bella. uh, And she's pretty darn cute. I know everybody, like, says their dog's cute. Our dog actually is really cute. I wish I had a picture of her here to say. Um, So much so, sorry to call Elise out, but like, when uh, we actually ask other people to watch, Bella at least gets offended because, like, Bella is, like, her dog, right? Like, she loves Bella. Like, she's really great. Um, she's a, she has a little ankle-biter dog. She's tiny, and she, like, jumps up on you. But once she calms down and she's chill, she is just the cutest little little dog. And it's good that she's cute. It's good that she's cute because she's really needy, Right? If we had an ugly dog like that was as needy as she is, like she wouldn't make it in our household. I literally would have driven her to the pound and left her there. Because uh, I'm not really a dog person. Because like Bella, every time she needs to eat and her food in her bowl runs out, she, de- she depends on me to fill it up. She doesn't like run to the closet, open the door, open up the little container that has her food in it, refill her bowl, close everything up and come back and eat. When her water bowl runs out, she doesn't pick up her bowl, jump up on the counter, you know, put it under the faucet, turn the water on, let it fill up, put it, turn the water off, and then take her bowl back. You know, when she has to go to the bathroom. She doesn't go to the sliding glass door on the back of the house and open the door. This would like, really be impressive. If you picture her doing all these things, it would be really impressive if she could. But she can't like pull that door open, let herself out, and then come back in. And when she gets dirty, she doesn't jump in the bathtub and turn on the shower and bathe herself. We do all those things for her. She is completely dependent on us. If she didn't have us, she quite literally, if we went away for like a month and just left her to herself in the house, she would die. Unfortunately, too often, we live as though we are the owner rather than the dog in the equation of us and the Lord. We live and act as though we can care for ourselves. That we are self-sufficient. But that is a lie. We are the dog. God is the owner. Without Him, we stay dirty, thirsty, we starve, and we eventually die. This morning text follows this pattern that Jesus has set up throughout the, the rest of the Sermon on the Mount that we've already, already covered, where He, he, he sets out uh, uh, in each time, the, the, in each section, each teaching, um, he starts with kind of an improper expression of a command or an expectation of God. You've heard that it was said, he will say, that, ty- that type of thing. And then he goes on to, 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 say, uh, to say something that has been improperly applied or, or used. And then he goes, but I tell you. And then he goes on and explains the proper application of that. And we have a very similar situation here in chapter chapter 6 in the verses that, that we're looking at. In verses 5 and then in 7 and 8, he addresses the improper expression of prayer. And then he follows this with instruction in verses 6 and then 9 to 14 with the proper fulfillment of that expectation, of, of that application of, of prayer. And th- this sermon could easily be two hours, and I just don't... I'm not going to do that to you this morning. Every kid and parent is <laughs> wiping their brow. So we're going we're to buzz through this as quickly as we can. But there's some things that we really, I really do want to cover. But in and, and the first, this is also broken down into like two basic parts. There's the, a first section on what Jesus is talking about, and then there's a second section where he deals with something different. And in that first section, um, he discusses a similar principle to what we covered last week. So I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on that. But uh, in verse 5, he says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. And we talked about that principle with giving last week. How the hypocrites love to to stand and and give money, and it was like trumpets and all these different things. And so uh, we we talked about why that was wrong and how that was wrong, and that is very easily applied to to, to prayer here. And so I don't think we're going to spend a a whole lot lot of time on that today. Because Jesus' is, his correction of that is, is very similar. He says, "When you pray, do not keep on." Uh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. He, he goes on to tell them to to pray in secret, which is similar to not letting your right hand know what your left hand is doing in in giving. So we're gonna we're just gonna we're gonna move on to the second part. That's where I really want to focus today. And the second section on prayer differs somewhat from the first section of doing it in secret. Um, when he instructs in verses 7 and 8, he gives us this instruction. He says, When you pray, starting in verse 7, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Jesus shifts his attention from praying for attention from men to praying with many words for the attention of God. Some, some argue here that Jesus is speaking against pagans, and I'm not entirely sure that, that he's doing that. There were pagan cults at the time, um, and probably still today, that pray in such a way that they repeat the God's name, or they re- repeat the request over and over again so many times so that the God doesn't forget what they asked for, and they repeat the God's name so many times because the more times you say it, the more control you kind of have over the God to get what, the, what you want from the God. And um, it's kind of like babbling, and, and Jesus basically goes on, and, and there are some other things we could apply there, but those are two of the many it, improper ways that the pagans were praying. And Jesus says, don't, don't pray like them. But I don't think he's like, i saying don't pray to their gods, you know, don't babble on to their gods. I think he's using their format of prayer to apply to a Jewish or Christian kind of format of prayer. I think what he's trying to say is kind of like, when you are praying, don't pray like the pagans who do this type of prayer. He's using their method as an example of what not to do. The idea here is that effective prayer is not based on the proficiency of the one who is praying. In other words, it's not about your ability to pray pretty, long, or comprehensive prayers. Your prayer life is not built upon how well you pray. Actually, you're aptitude in any of these areas of of the discipline of prayer is not so much the issue at all. We know this because Jesus says in verse 8 that we shouldn't strive to be like the pagans at all. He literally says, don't be like them. That's what they do. Don't be like them. And, And what reason does he give? He says, we shouldn't try to pray like the pagans because your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. It's really interesting. If He already knows what we need... Why do we need to pray at all? What is prayer for? There's probably there's a much larger answer to that question. Um, there's a lot of things that prayer is for, but I think one of the things that we can get at this morning, and I think it's safe to say, is that we should generally pray. Not to, not to get something out of God. Kind of like sometimes we pray like putting money into a vending machine, right? Like um, put coins in and then you push what selection you want and it kicks out what you what you get. Or today you don't even put coins in anymore, right? Take your credit card out, you swipe it and it charges your card and then you push the button for whatever you want and and it kicks it out. And I think sometimes we treat God like that. It's very transactional. Like you come to God. You tell him what you want, and then he's supposed to give it to you. And for some reason he doesn't give you what you ask for. Like that causes some big problems in our spirituality, in our in our life, in our relationship with him. I don't think that's what God wants because we don't need that. It's not about asking for things like, like making him aware of what we need. Jesus says he already knows what you need. So if He already knows what we need, it's not about getting something out of Him. What is it for? I think a large part of our prayer life is more about relationship. Right? It's, it's about growing to love and appreciate Him. Spend time with Him. To be with, with Him. And to, to get to know Him. He already knows us. And, and so, and I think that this next section that Jesus gives us in verses 9 to like 15, flesh that out. Jesus then goes on to say, okay, he already knows what you need. Prayer is not really about that. Let me, let me teach you how to pray. And, and so often in my life, I, I've been taught and I've lived as though this was an actual prayer that I should pray like every week, that I should pray the Lord's Prayer. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that. It's not that it, it, it's, it's an poor, poor, improper use of it. But I'm not entirely sure. It doesn't seem, given the context, that that is exactly what Jesus had originally intended it for. It looks like this is more teaching us how to pray, like a model like like to use for our prayer life. Not that we're supposed to use these exact words, but take the principles from it and apply them. It demonstrates for us how to pray in principle. And he goes on, and I'm just going to reread the Lord's Prayer, and then we're going to talk about each each of the verses and kind of flesh out what we should take away from there, and then we'll close up. Um, and he says that Jesus instructs us to pray like this. He says um, in verse 9, This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We're going to stop there, and we'll pick up with 14 and 15 next. So the first half of the Lord's Prayer focuses on God's character. Focuses on God's character. Has nothing to do with anything that we get out of Him. Nothing at all. And the second half of the Lord's Prayer focuses on God's character and our need for him to provide for us based on that character. In verse 9, Jesus instructs us to pray pray, our Father. I know that Jesus does say earlier that prayer is to be done in secret, and that's true. It's not meant to be done to get attention. But he doesn't say pray my Father. He says pray our Father. Our Father which leads many to believe that this Jesus is, is saying that we are praying a lot of times in the context of community. That's about, about us, not just about me. How many times, though, when we pray in context of community, and, and also that everybody should be praying in the context of community, and I was we sharing this with our students this morning, but how often when we ask for somebody to pray in a group setting, in a community setting, it is just crickets. Nobody wants to do it. Nobody wants to do it. I think there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, I think one of the reasons, unfortunately, is because we have a misunderstanding of what prayer is about. If we if, and if and we don't really under we don't as well as we should probably know the character of God and who He is. And if we did, we may be more willing to do it. I think the second, one of the other reasons that I'll highlight this morning is is because we judge each other too much. Somebody says something wrong, or they kind of get tongue-tied and they can't talk for a minute, and there's just like this awkward silence and everybody knows what's going on. And somebody snickers, or afterwards, somebody talks about it. That is incredibly hurtful, and not just hurtful, but it is damaging to the body of Christ. We, the evil one, seeks to steal, kill, and destroy Scripture tells us, but Jesus has come to give us life. And as Jesus's ambassadors, as His hands and feet, as the body of Christ, we are to do the same. We are to speak life into each other and not death into each other. And so, if somebody, if we're holding hands in a circle and somebody new is praying and they get tongue-tied and they just can't say anything, you just squeeze their hand a little bit harder to let them know it's okay. And we all just sit silently until it. Till they work it out, and it's just okay. And afterward, you go up to them and you give them a huge hug, and you tell them how thankful you are that they prayed today, that they led us in prayer before our great God and King. How grateful you are, and how how wonderful it was to bring prayer with them. We edify, we build up, we do not tear down. There are sometimes this is way off topic, right? But sometimes in churches, there's this real critical spirit where we're always looking for what somebody does wrong. And that is the death of churches. It's not that we don't call out sin or that we don't correct sin. We do that. But we should always assume the best of each other until we're proven, until there's good evidence to show otherwise, and we should always seek to build up, encourage, and edify one another. This should be the most wonderful place anybody ever comes to. But too often, churches are just the scariest places because there there are a lot of backbiting and infighting and this critical spirit that comes with it. But if we could really be what we were designed to be, it would be something really special. And that goes along with prayer. So, anyway, we are supposed to pray. Our, he says to pray, Our Father that's in, that is in heaven. And I, that's the first thing. Um, it, the other thing I would say with just one person, or just a few people always praying, sometimes I don't really offer to prayer. It's not because I'm afraid to pray like, or I don't want to pray. But like I'm, I shouldn't be the only one to pray. I, I want like all of us to pray because we're a body, we're a family. Like family, if in my family, like we appointed Kate, who's my oldest daughter by two minutes, um, to, uh, she's a twin, um, to, to pray or to come and talk to me. And Maggie always went through her. So if Maggie needed something to eat, she went and asked Kate to ask me, and Kate came to ask me. If she needed money to go buy something, or she needed clothing, or she fell and got hurt and needed me. Like, it always came through Kate. If it always came through Kate, that would just kind of be messed up, right? And you'd come over to our house, and you'd kind of, after a while, notice what's going on, and you'd be just kind of like that's just kind of weird that their family operates like that. And you would go and you would talk to other people in the church and be saying, someone's just not right with that family because that one child is the only one who ever talks to, to Pastor John. And that's just kind of weird. That's not, how family, that's not how family's supposed to work. Both of my kids should always feel free to come and ask me for things or to talk to me. And I want that. Same thing here. I, I want all of you to always be, feel free to come and talk to me and ask me for things. If you're asking me for like, money to go buy clothing. I may just shoot you down. I'm sorry for that. Or, you know, there are certain things I'm just not going to be able to do for you, but I want you to come to me. But really, in the the context of the body of Christ, God doesn't want just me to come and talk to Him for you. That'd just be kind of messed up. Just like it would be in my family if Kate was the only one who came and asked me for things. He wants all of us, as the family of God, to be able to come and talk to Him. And not just privately and individually, but even corporately. Because that's how a family operates. A healthy family operates. And then he, and, and, and kind of building off of that, he says, you know, it says our father, the hour is the church, right? He doesn't say like everyone's father. I think it's something important to remember that God is our Father. Like He wants everybody, like He has adopted us as His children. But not everybody has that relationship with Him. That's a special relationship. We shouldn't overlook that. You're incredibly blessed. You are incredibly special people. We are never meant to be an exclusive people, but we are a special people. Not everybody can call God. Father or Daddy. He loves for us and cares for us and wants to provide for us. And he's in heaven. Father who's in heaven. That, that, That carries with it the connotation of being separate or different or what we might call holy. And he is. He is different. He's not like us. He's nothing like us. He's celestial. He's a creator he is altogether different than us. And we must never forget it. We can't neglect it or ignore it or otherwise lose sight of the fact of his differentness. He's not our buddy. He's our Heavenly Father. And then he says, hallowed. This is a verb form of holy. Holy. And essentially means recognize as holy, as wonderfully different. We need to recognize him as such in our prayer life. So then he goes on in verse 10, and Jesus, Jesus tells him, He pr- tells us actually to pray, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God, when we hear about this in the Bible, the kingdom of God is essentially or generally the rule and reign of God. It's the rule and reign of God. The kingdom, God's kingdom, unlike earthly kingdoms, is not relegated to a certain physical territory. It's not controlled by force, and its currency has nothing to do with money. God's kingdom is about his rule and reign here in this world, and it is evidenced in the submission of his people to him. Its currency is sacrifice and humility. And its territory is based on lives, not on acres. God's kingdom has been inaugurated and continues to grow with every life surrendered to Christ. That's how it grows. It doesn't grow when we take more territory, like physical territory. It grows when people surrender their lives to him and come into the family of God, into the kingdom of God through Christ. But it will not be, it, while it grows now, it will not be fully consummated until Christ returns and takes absolute control over everything and finally defeats sin. When we pray for Jesus' kingdom to come, we pray not for it to come initially because it's already here. You're evidence of that. You have submitted your life to Him. And he now controls you. Now we pray that it would come to grow larger and larger. And then at the same time, that it would would also come in its fullness with its consummation at the end of time as soon as possible. Just like a both and. We pray that it continues to grow, that more and more, his kingdom would come, it would grow more and more by, by people surrendering their lives to Christ. And we also pray that it would come in that it would come fully as soon as possible. And we, he goes on and says, in addition to that, we should pray that God's will be done. Well, God's will is probably just what you think it is. His desire and plan what he wants to accomplish. He says that we're to pray that his will be done, not that ours is. Just his. I think often, very often, I neglect this in my prayer life. I pray for everything that I want, right? Everything that I think I need, rather than praying for God's will to be done in my life. and um i think i do that in part because i'm afraid of having to give up some of the things that i love more than him we're not going to be able to go down this rabbit trail too much but i just want to encourage us to pray for his to be willing to sacrifice our will for his because his is always going to be better always going to be better Um, we can talk more about that another time, but um, pray for His will be done. And um, we're instructed that it be done for us on earth as it is in heaven. Um, we're just basically praying for that same thing, that God's kingdom would just um, really be expressed more fully. What, what, as it is there perfectly, it would more perfectly be expressed here through us. And that that would grow, and that one day, as soon as possible, it would come in its fullness. So that's like that first section where it's all focused on the Lord. It's on Him and His character and praising Him for His holiness and praying for His kingdom to come and that His will would be done. Not ours, but His. And then this next section... Is interesting, in verses 11 to 13, it focuses a little bit more on us, but at the same time recognize in light of who he is, not at his expense, but in light of who he is. And each of these requests are connected with an and. Each of the first three were just statements on their own. The next three are all connected with ands. It's almost as if to say that life sustained by food is not enough. that we also need forgiveness of our sins and deliverance from temptation. We can't just pray for one of these things. We have to pray for all of them together, all of the time. He said, pray to God in verse 11 that He would give us today our daily bread. We don't earn anything. That's something to remember. We're gonna to try to buzz through this really quickly, but you don't earn anything. You don't deserve anything. God gives you everything. Every good and perfect gift is coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change, like shifting shadows. The Scripture tells us, He gives us everything, and He and He says, "Pray that you give us our daily bread today, not to ask for enough to get you through the week." This is something I, I really am guilty of. Like I wanna, I wanna earn enough money now that it will carry me through like for the rest of my life in retirement. I'm not saying having a retirement account is a bad thing. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But sometimes like we want to get a lot from God now so that we don't have to depend on him later. And that's that's like antithetical to God's plan for us. God doesn't want you only to have to depend on him for a certain part of your life. He wants you to depend on Him throughout the entirety of your life. So He says, pray for what you need today. Now the other Scripture tells us that tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Just ask Him for what you need today. It's kind of like, you know, when Israel came out of Egypt and He gave them manna. He said, you can collect enough for one day. One day. You collect it. If you collect more, you're going to have problems in your house. It's going to spoil and go rancid and just be bad. Just collect enough for today and then to trust me for tomorrow. We need to do the same. I think sometimes our spiritual lives are a bit weak because we try to store up enough for several days rather than trusting Him in every day. Okay, verse 12, he goes on. I'm sorry we're kind of moving through real systematically, but it's, I think these things are just real important. It's um, uh, he, he says, and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Sometimes we read this, and then also we'll tie in verses you know, 14 and 15 probably, but uh, we read those, and we think that we're not going to get forgiven unless we forgive other people. Like somehow our our relationship with Jesus, our forgiveness of our sin is based on what we're willing to do for somebody else. That whole kind of like uh, earning mentality. And we've just learned from the preceding verse that we need to pray that God would give us things, that we don't earn anything. So that... That's like kind of counter to what what the gospel teaches. And even in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, Paul writes to the Ephesian church, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one could boast. It's not about what you do. You can't earn your salvation. That's not what Jesus is teaching here in, in chapter 6, verse 12 of Matthew. We are saved freely and not by works. It's the grace of God. One Bible scholar has said this about these verses in order to explain it. He said, "Once our eyes have been opened to see the enormity of our offense against God, the injuries which others have done to us appear by comparison extremely trifling. If one, or, or if on the other hand, we have an exaggerated view of the offense of others, it proves that we have minimized our own." J.C. Ryle. Um, once said this. He said, Christ is never fully valued until sin is clearly seen. We must know the depth and malignity of our disease in order to appreciate the great physician. I think the idea that Jesus is getting at here is not that we won't be forgiven unless we forgive others, but it is this. That as we more fully understand the magnitude of grace that God has shown and mercy that God has shown us, as we more fully understand the depths of our sin, our only natural reflex in regard to other people hurting us is that we will, quick, we will be quick to forgive. We've, we are just in such awe of what God has done for us that it doesn't even register in our mind as a question of whether or not we should forgive somebody we will just naturally and quickly do it too often i'm afraid that we aren't quicker to forgive because we have come to we haven't come to realize the enormity of god's forgiveness towards us we talk a lot about god's grace and mercy and we should but I think we would do well to take some time to dwell upon the depths of our sin also and what he has saved us from. Because only in that do we have a greater appreciation for what he, what his grace and mercy has actually done. And then in verse 13, um, it says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I would just submit to you this morning, this is most likely referring to um, being delivered or kept from the devil's temptation. Um, which makes sense, right? Um, given our complete inability on our own to resist temptation and sin. Um, and I, I think as as we kind of like look into the depths of our sin, we kind of, we should really quickly realize that we are completely unable on our own to, to resist it. And then also co- contrasting that to Jesus' and God's complete ability to resist temptation and sin. You, know, you look back to Genesis and you see our example of how ill-equipped we are to resist it. And then you look forward to Jesus' being tempted, tempted in the wilderness and his complete ability to resist it. And we see our utter need for him to do what we can't do on our own. So I um there's just a lot in here. Like there's a lot in here that I think we would do well to to really just process and, and, and grow from and um I, I mentioned just a few minutes ago about in, in verse twelve Um, Jesus talking about forgiveness and us forgiving. And then he comes back to it in verses 14 and 15. I want to just spend another moment on that because I feel like Jesus mentioned this twice. He said then in verses 14 and 15, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. It's like he hits on that twice in this section alone. And I, the only reason that like seems like he would do that is because he wants to highlight the importance of that. This is so important. It's not that you're earning your salvation. We've covered that. It's not about earning your salvation, but it is about having a, a full and proper understanding of our need and God's supply in this area. And if we are not willing to forgive, if if I think and on the flip side, if we're not willing to go and repent for the things that we have done wrong to other people in our body and beyond, we don't have as good of an understanding of God's mercy and grace as we should. Um, You know, we don't want to trudge up stuff over and over and over again like hurt and um, sin that we as individuals or corporately have caused, but Honestly, if we're to be honest, um, and some of you haven't been with us for very long, so you, you're off the hook with this one, but as a body, we've done some things wrong over the past two years. We've hurt some people. And as individuals, we've done the same, but as a body, corporately, we've... Some people have hurt us, and we have hurt some other people. And... Um, as I spend some time as your leader praying for us, mapping out where God wants us to go next, one of the things that keeps coming to me that he keeps bringing to mind is this idea of forgiveness and repentance. That a church is spiritually stuck until, one, I think it comes to like this really good understanding of what God has done for it, and then in response to that, It's complete willingness to forgive people who have hurt it and to ask for forgiveness from people who they have hurt. Um, I'm not entirely sure how that's going to work out for us as a body. I think there are still, I think we have worked some things through, which is great. And you guys have done a great job, by the way. There have been some things that we have dealt with and worked through over the past year and a half, two years, and it has been beautiful to see the Holy Spirit all over that. But I think there are still a few things maybe dangling out there. I want to say this. If you have have hurt have been hurt by somebody here at the church, right? My hope and prayer is that you will be quick to forgive. Forgiveness is this thing, it's really funny. We often think forgiveness is about what we give to the the other person, right? Like if somebody hurt me, I forgive them, I I give something to them, I, I let them off the hook. And basically what forgiveness actually is, is somebody hurts you, and you look at them and you say, you know what, you have taken something from me, you have hurt me in a a pretty significant way, but I'm not going to respond to you, I'm not going to have you pay the price for what you have done for me, in fact, I am going to take the pain, I am going to take the hurt, I am going to take the penalty for your sin on myself and not expect you to have to pay it back. And we often think that it's all about that other person kind of being forgiven, but really forgiveness, most times, affects the one forgiving way more than it affects the one being forgiven. Because if you have a spirit of unforgiveness, if you're not willing to forgive, it keeps you in shackles. Because as the people of God designed to be like our Creator, like our Savior. We are new creations. We are, we are meant to be like Him. He, in His very character, is a forgiving God. He, he, he naturally forgives because of who He is. And He's quick to do it. And He loves to do it. He loves to, to take our pain, the sin that we have caused, on Himself, and He willingly does that for you. It's his character. Likewise, because we are his people, we are to do the same. And when we don't do that, we rebel against our character, and it keeps us in shackles. It keeps us in bondage, because we are rebelling against how we were created or designed to be. And that's never good. We see that all the time. All the time. If I walked around and I acted like a dog, I barked, and I tried to wag my tail, and I never spoke, and I panted, and I drank and ate out of bowls on the ground. Y'all would look at that and say, "That's kind of that's crazy. There's something wrong with that guy." And you would be right because I would be rebelling against how I was created and designed to be as a human being. Same thing goes with forgiveness. Forgiveness is about the person we're forgiving, but it is also about you living how you were designed to be. And when you don't do that, you create this this Bondage inside of yourself, and you can't do it, and it tears you up, messes you up, and keeps you from being all that God wants for you and is designed for you to be. Because of that, our church can't be everything that it is supposed to be if we hold on to a spirit of unforgiveness. Does that kind of make sense? I get a lot of blank stares. I'm hoping it's because you're like, "Oh, that's so true." I thought about that way, and I really need to ask God to help me with this. If it's not that, and you're just like, "I have no idea what that guy's talking about," I want you to come and talk to me or talk to another leader about that because we really want you to help help to help you to process that because that is core to who we are. Jesus mentions it twice in this section alone, not just because he was afraid they forgot, but because it's so important. It is so core to who we are as a people. And it cannot be overlooked. It cannot be neglected. We must be a people who are quick to ask for forgiveness and quick to offer forgiveness. And I'll tell you what, if we do that, it will set us apart from the world. That one thing alone will set you apart from the world. So I get loud and like kind of animated and stuff. Not because I'm angry with you. I'm not at all angry with you. I love you so much. And I so desperately want us to get these things so that we as a church can be as healthy as possible. Without them, we can't. We will have this appearance of church, but we will be just like those whitewashed tombs Jesus spoke about. There will be nothing inside. And that's just not enough. It's just not enough. So, um, Here's what I want to do. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. We're going to sing one more song as we close, and um, uh, I I would just like to, as they're coming up, pray for us, um, and um, ask God to do in us what we can't do on ourselves. So, um, so let me let me let me pray for us, and then we'll close with this this last song. Father, um, we uh, recognize today. Again, uh, who you are, in your beauty, your grandeur, the fact that you are not like us, um, you are wholly different than us, um, that you are the created and we are the crea- or you are the creator, excuse me, Father, and we are the created. See, I just proved it. <laughs> uh, we're not perfect, but you are. And we thank you for that. We thank you for being you. Thank you for having your character being loved straight through and holiness straight through and vengeance straight through and everything that you are, completely, all at the same time. And um, because of how great you are and mighty you are, we come to you in prayer as we close today and would humbly ask that that you would help us, people who can't, be who we should be to become who you've desired and designed for us to be. So please, Lord, we pray that um, we could be more consistent and persistent with our prayer life that we could get to know you better that we could come to you based on your character for our needs and 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 release those those gifts that you give us for your glory. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to be a forgiving people. People who who love you so much that we can't help but love others and a huge part of that loving others is is forgiving people who hurt us cuz we're all we're all prone to that. So Um, please, Father, in Jesus' name, help us to do all those things. We love you and um, praise you in his name, in Jesus' name, amen. Will you please rise?